Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. Welcome to the 200th episode of Tech Talks. Before we dive into our live recording, which was created at White City Place on the 9th of May, so earlier this month, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, This podcast started as an idea in 2015. It took nearly nine months to get anything published. Uh, And it's been a bit of a long journey from from here to today and 200 episodes, 250-ish guests. Uh, and it's, a, it's been a complete team effort. There are so many things that I simply would not have been able to do without the time and kind support of so, so many people. And that's from uh, building a website and an understanding about equipment and how to go about making the show. So loads of people behind the scenes through to the guests who've obviously been incredibly giving of their time uh, and then uh, to the listeners. You know, if you if you don't tune into the show uh, on a regular basis and dip into the episodes that you want to listen to, well, there's absolutely zero point in making it. But I have a load of fun. I hope that Ryder and Jack do too. So on behalf of them and from me, thank you for listening. Please continue to listen and hopefully we'll get to episode 300. Uh, Good evening. Thank you very much for attending this event in White City. My name is Robin Keegan. I'm a consultant at Harvey Nash Group, which is the company behind Tech Talks. Feel free to ask me any questions after the event about who we are, what we do. Before that, though, I just wanted to go through what to expect from this evening um, and also share some thoughts on tonight's main theme. So we're going to start with something that's called the hustle before moving on to a debate about uh, the considerations that need to be taken into account before adopting AI into business. And then lastly, Dave and Jack will announce the winner of the Tech Personality of the Year Award, which received over 500 votes, which is great. So why are we talking about AI? Well, it's become such a buzzword that IT professionals are becoming a bit embarrassed to even use it. For example, uh, in Lisbon last year, we had one guest on the show which described circumstances of people actually apologising for saying AI. But given how transformative AI can be, and given that many tech businesses, four in ten, have claimed to either save or make money from this, we had to ask, how did we get there? Maybe people don't understand what AI is, or maybe they do, they're just stretching the definition to suit their needs, which can be frustrating considering that there are many great examples of AI in enterprise making a huge impact. So for example, Darktrace, Luminance and Mivite, who were featured on the show, demonstrated the positive change that they can deliver. Uh, also, we'll be hearing from two more tonight. Uh, so how do we ensure that more positive cases are seen and heard about? Well, firstly, we need to build responsibly. So Dot Everyone, which is Martha Lane Fox's policy body, conducted research which shows that 50% of people believe that tech is good for the individual, whereas only 12% believe this is good for society. So we need to build user cases that reinforce the positive transformation that AI can deliver. Secondly, can you be sure that you're fixing your business problem by using AI? And have you articulated correctly what that problem is? because board-level leaders can be excited by it, it is sexy, but adopting the wrong technology will only lead to bigger problems down the line and will also just worsen the hype hype cycle. 
But I'm hoping that the panel will unearth a few more gems later on in the discussion, which I'm sure you will all be involved in. Before that, though, we have a slightly new feature called the Hustle. So Sean Bradley, a member of the Tech Talks team, will be grilling Wei, the co-founder of Koala, on the uh, challenges that she found whilst building up her business. And we hope this is something that you can all take away and even implement yourselves. But it's a full program. Please enjoy the show. Stick around for some drinks, some food. There will be some pizza later as well. And also a chance to win some tickets to Unbound London in July. But thank you for listening. And I'll hand back over to you, Dave. Oh, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay, so welcome. Thank welcome you. Stage. So for people in the room that don't know, um, could you just explain a bit about who you are and what you do, what Koala is? Sure. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Hui. Do you excuse the really funny accent? I was born in China, brought up in Belfast, and I've lived in London for over eight years. So um, I've had a couple of glasses of wine, so uh, my accent is getting even weirder. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Yeah, um, yeah so I'm one of the co-founders of uh, Koala. Um, so at the moment, it's a team of two. It's me and my business partner, Stuart co-founder um, what quality is well boy I guess in one sentence we go on holiday for a living nice. <laughs> um, yeah well on a more serious note um, it's about kind of connecting people bringing people together so our core mission is by curing loneliness and bring trust back um, so at the moment at the moment we curate um, small group trips for young professionals in their 20s and 30s we also do London-based experiences as events, as ways to bring people together, um, as I was talking to Sean earlier, actually. London is such a big city, but actually, it's really hard to find people to do things with. So where quality is standing is that we want to do everything to kind of cater for the young professionals out there, um, because everyone wants to kind of hang out with people who are like-minded and do things with. So that's kind of fundamentally what we're trying to do. Yeah, nice. And I think everyone can relate to when you really want to go on holiday, but you, all of your friends are broke or busy. Yep. So <laughs> I've <never> done that. <laughs> it's great. But before we get chatting about the business side, um, I just want to talk a bit more about you as a person because you don't really have a business background. You were a software engineer before. Um, so, you know, how did this impact becoming a startup founder? Did you find that it held you back at all or...? Yeah, I guess um, I didn't really want to have a business, <laughs> if I can say that. Um, so yeah, I was saying I'm from a tech background. I've been a software engineer for um, just over seven years, actually. Um, I've worked for Netaporta, which is actually just across this building here, funny enough. Uh, right to Move and John Lewis as an automation engineer. And I... I guess like similar to most people in their 20s, I had a bit of personal breakdown, so I quit my job, like want to go traveling and all that. Maybe it's never happened to you, I don't know. <laughs> but it's happened to me. And uh, after I got back from traveling, it was like, right, I really want to make a nap. That was the first thought. Um, so I made a nap <laughs> and it was like, I don't know what to do with it. Um, so I joined a co-working space called Launch 22 and um, they, you know, they can provide you with mentoring services. So I met my then mentor, now business partner, Stuart, and uh, we just had a chat. And I remember the very first thing he said to me was, so do you have a business model? I was like, mm -hmm. uh, nope, I've got a really good app. Look at it. And he's like, you can't make money from it. I'm like, okay, well, 
that's that's fair enough. So that's how it all started. Um, and you know, he's from more of a business background and more from a tech background. Um, so I kind of started working on the idea, but did a bit more kind of practical things, like actually curated some trips, got people going, got some user feedback. Um, I guess the business kind of just organically grew. And as of last August, Stuart came on board as my co-founder. So even though being officially working together for a few months but you know he's kind of been with me from day one really um which i think is really nice yeah and and touching on that so how do you make that shift from just working with someone and deciding that they're going to build a business with you that's you know obviously very important to you i think the right answer is actually you never know. I think having a business with someone is been like having a marriage with someone. Like <laughs> you, do, you don't know if it's gonna work out. Like you don't know. Like year one, year two might be great. Year five, year ten might not be. You never know. And I don't think you should go into business thinking, is it gonna fail? Like you shouldn't think like that. I think if the business organically growing, if you're working well together, you should just like have the faith and trust in each other. And I think. Don't get me wrong, there are days we want to murder each other. Like, bless him, he's on holiday right now. But I think the reason why we have stayed together through the ups and downs is because we respect each other's skill sets and respect each other as, I guess, people. Like, he's, you know, I respect the fact that he's had his own business since he was 18, and he respect the fact that I'm from a tech background. Um, I think, you know, if you find yourself a mentor or someone like you can talk to about your business, that's great because then you can actually see if someone has a similar vision as you. Um, and I actually think that's really important, whether it's someone you're talking to or a mentor, if that person has a similar vision as you, that that really helps. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I think. Yeah, and I hear quite a lot that... Um with the founders that that also have co-founders, it it does often happen that one of them is the, the more of the techie and the other is more of the business side. Um, so, do you think this works for making a good relationship, or do you think it's runs deeper than that? I I don't think it's necessary. I think with us, also I think also also the fact that we're both from Belfast, we actually lived a mile apart when we were growing up. We were similar age, but we never met until I joined the co-working space. You know, launched twenty two. Um, I think just having that connection of knowing someone's from a similar place as you and he from day one he understood what i was trying to do it's not just about starting a travel company it's about bringing people together it's about curing loneliness and bringing trust back into the society and like he got that and i think you know maybe some other mentors or people at the time didn't really understand that um so i don't think it's about having you know whether you have to be more tech or business i think fundamentally you have to get wh where each other is coming from but obviously like you know i think having matching personality does help um i think i was well maybe i'm still quite shy whereas you know Stuart davis met him you know he's definitely a bit more confident and you know i think having that personality match helps because you can kind of it's like a jigsaw puzzle you know you, f you just fit into each other if that makes sense yeah <laughs> yeah it does make sense um and also of course Stuart's a guy I mean, obviously. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> and I've just I've heard before that um, some female founders, when they're trying to start a business on their own, they are encouraged to look for a male co-founder to appeal more to uh, investors. Was this ever on your mind at the time, or retrospectively, 
do you think it was relevant in any way? For me, no. Um, I think it's because how we met, because he was my mentor. I mean, I didn't even really consider him as co-founder at the start. Bless him. <laughs> um, sorry, Stuart. No, I think I think it's just because, like, you know, over the the next few months when I first started, it just it just sort of happened because he was giving me really sound advice. He was being really harsh with me, let's be honest. And um, he gave me the kick in the back I needed to. And, you know, you need someone like that. You need someone to be honest with you. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman or, you know, it doesn't matter. I think you need someone to be honest with you when it comes to business. And that's actually really hard to find because your family, your friends, they'll be really lovely to you, tell you you're doing a great job. It doesn't matter if you don't have a customer. It doesn't matter if your website's not perfect, it's fine. So what you need is someone to be honest with you and tell you what you don't want to hear, but what you need to hear. So in that case, yeah, I don't, I don't think it would matter if he's like a man or a woman. But yeah. yeah, and going on to the business side, then you're pre-seed now, right? Yes, we are. So are you actively looking for investment at the moment? Um, the thing is, we have enough capital right now, so we don't need the funding right now per se, but we are sort of start thinking about it just because I realized how long the whole investment pitching process is and people people totally underestimate it. Um, it's not just about creating a beautiful PowerPoint presentation, you're going to get the money in the bank. Um, so yeah, so right now we're not kind of actively seeking right now, but we we are start preparing for it as seeing we're thinking about the pitch deck, you know, like, you know, what we're trying to do with the company, like long-term wise. Um, so yeah, that's good. Yeah, and how, how do you start to prepare for something like that? Because, you know, you're taking something that is like your baby to be scrutinized in front of people you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously this is all kind of hypothetical because it hasn't happened yet, but how do you balance um, sticking with your vision and what you want out of a business and like pleasing investors so you can grow the business? I think, <laughs> once again, going to the whole marriage thing, I'm not married by the way, but I think finding the right investor is like going to marriage with someone, you want to make sure it's the right person for you. Like, I think the fact is you're in London, which is one of the biggest cities in the world. If you're really, really, really desperate for money, you will get your money but you want to make sure you get from the right person or the right company, whatever, because you'll be given out a lot of your equity and you'll be given away your decision powers if it's not the right VC or angel or whatever. So you, you really want to make sure that the person you're getting the money from like gets you and gives you the freedom to do what you need. And I think, in fact, I would say, if you're super early stage startup, don't even think about funding. If you can bootstrap as long as you can, like what I've done, I would highly recommend it. I mean, nowadays it's actually not that complicated to start a business. And the UK is great. You can register a company within 10 minutes in company house. You can build a website on Wix in 10 minutes. Mm. You know, you can do a lot of the fundamentals really quickly and people don't think that they think my god I don't have a dev background I don't know any developer friends I'm not from a business background therefore I can't start that's not true you can start but at a certain stage you will need to get help from people who's you know better at you at certain things whether it's business or sales or social media but you can start with like little costs and I, I wish I knew that when I first started I suppose but yeah yeah, it's just taking that first step. Um, so now that you have taken that first step, yes. <laughs> well done. Um, but as a travel company, 
do you find um, it difficult to compete with, you know, these big travel brands and to find your space and your brand on the market? And, you know, how do you manage that? Do you have a market strategy at all? Yes. <laughs> no, I think everyone has a place in the market. That's how I would put it. And I actually really respect the big companies out there. And I would kind of use their tour groups and travel with them if I'm a solo traveler. I think everyone's trying to do something different. I think fundamentally what Koala is trying to do is bring people together. So our sole mission isn't about all the destinations in the world. Um, it's about connecting with people who you actually like like you know for example I I can't think any of my friends would come on holiday with me next month if I really need to have a break like Koala is all about bringing people together have a good time with people no matter the, the destination and things like that because at the end of the day we're all kind of you know looking for that connection with someone and I think that's our gap in the market it's about the people it's not just about the traveling itself if that makes sense yeah, so touching on that of, because um, people won't really know how it works, it's people give a bit of information about themselves when, they, when they're interested in koala, don't they? And they kind of choose which hashtags interest them and which pictures interest them and things like that. Um, where are you taking this matching algorithm next? You know, do you have... Do you have visions for what, what you want it to be and how you'll get people together? Yeah, sure. So I guess there are two ways at the moment on our current online offering. So one is that you can see our trips and experiences. You can kind of pick which one you fancy and join us. Um, but we've recently launched a concierge service where you can, like what Sean was saying, pick your interests, travel photos you like, and then someone get back to you with personal recommended trips and experiences and events. Um, but at the minute, I guess it's half automated. And um, I mean, all the data is in the back end. I basically go through the database and trying to work out the best what, like trips and experience for you. Um, so I am the tech right now. Um, but going forward, we want to come up with this matching algorithm where it's fully automated. So it depends on your personality, your interests, um, or I guess automated system could work out what's the best event, trips or experience for you. Um, depends on your interests and budgets and personality and all that. Um, I guess, yeah, so that's kind of what we're trying to do going yeah. forward. Yeah, um, it sounds really interesting. And with travel, um, I'm curious to know what role influencers and Instagram play with it because <clears throat> for me that's kind of that's the forefront of, of how I experience different places now and and you know like there's always the travel ending and wanderlust and all these things of of um, and I think that's how kind of hype is built around places so is that something that fits into your model or is it something that annoys you or what? I think it's a really interesting topic. So we have never personally, let's say, paid an influencer to advertise for us or anything. I personally don't really believe that. I think it's wrong to pay for someone to advertise a product that they have never used before. Like, I would never want to advertise a trip to someone if I if I've never tried that trip, or I've never been to that place, if that makes sense. Um, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm sure there are companies doing that, I'm not saying that's kind of wrong for them to do it. Obviously it works because of engagements, etc. Um, I just personally think it's not what Koala's about because we're all about original content. You know, we even get um, people to write about city guides and travel articles, but it's all the things that they want to write about. It's all original content, so we have no influence over that. And I think, 
it's important to kind of get that across. Where we have had is, for example, um, wish I had a travel blogger came on one of our trips um, to Budapest and she you know she kind of wrote about us and stuff and we had another food blogger who came on one of our dumplings experience and um, she wrote about the dumplings experience but I you know I didn't ask for it they they just did it because they had such great time um, and they felt like they want to write about our experience and obviously we use social media to promote it um, so yeah I'm not saying that we never use kind of social media to promote anything we have but we've never pay someone to do that yeah. if that makes sense yeah, yeah. um and koala's quite small right now it only launched like last september right uh yeah so the company was funded a year and a half ago but the koala brand and the website um yeah only launched last last september yeah, so, yeah. and as you said you're dealing with pretty much all of the tech right now um but i want to imagine going forward and as the company starts to grow um and you need to employ more people and you probably don't have as much time to do all of this. You know, how how are you going to manage that shift in your role? Um, you know, when your priorities and the tasks that you can juggle might start to change. Oh man, priority. <laughs> I mean, the other day I was thinking, so I woke up at nine o'clock, answered customer emails, then uh I updated the website, then I went, I did a tour, I did an experience with the customers, had a great time, came back home, did more coding on the website, and I was thinking, yeah, that's 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 a really strange day, like I'm doing for people's job. It's great, I do love it, but it's a very good question. Um, so we did actually have a full-time developer who um, actually left the company because someone else was going to pay him a higher wage, which, by the way, if you ever start a startup, human resources, it's a total pain, but you'll have to go through that. Things will get better. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think I'm, I'm quite thankful that I've, you know, I'm from a kind of software engineering background. I can still maintain the website. That's great. Um, yeah, obviously, going forward, we will be recruiting full-time staff to kind of help us to develop more features because it's still very much a tech company and I want to make sure that the focus will be on tech um, because that's just what I'm passionate about. So, yeah, we will be kind of recruiting and getting more people on board. Yeah. Nice. And also with that... Um with the kind of gross as growth aspect, gross as gross then gross um, <laughs> gross aspect <laughs> as it's happening, <laughs> we'll ignore the yeah. We'll talk about the gross aspect later. Yes, after we will do. Okay. Yeah, of course. Um, particular shot. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, nice. Get the tequila in. Anyway, um, so what is next for Koala? And also in the wider context, how do you decide what should be the next step? for your business because um, I imagine it gets quite overwhelming when you're you have kind of loads of things happening at once um, and I'm just interested in, interested to know how you decide where to where to put your focus yeah I think I'll go back to the second question first actually I think to, to be honest I think starting a business is very much like trial and error you, you don't really know sometimes what the right answer is until you try it out and we have tried a lot of things um, and, and funny enough I yeah with the next phase we're um, probably going back to what I was trying to do like a year and a half ago when I first had this idea um, so we very much would like 
this to be a travel marketplace for you know trips and experiences and get people more people involved so get individuals to design and curate the trips and experiences and um, because in the minute it's just me and Stuart we come up with these crazy ideas for trips and experiences we think they're great and people do yeah people do come and they pay for the trips and they do come they have a great time um but obviously that's not scalable um so we want yeah we basically just want people to kind of come up with their own crazy ideas, find their own kind of crazy people they want to go on holiday with and share experiences with. So yeah, so the idea is that anyone could create a trip or an experience. Obviously we'll verify that, um, a bit like what eBay's been doing. So make sure that the verification process goes through with the payment and the people and um, you'll find great people to travel and have experiences with. So finally, um, what advice do you have for people that might want to, you know, they might have a vision, an idea or a passion and they would like to start a business but they just don't know how? Um, yeah, like what has been something that, that you wish you'd have told, other than what you've mentioned, what you wish you'd have known then and that maybe people don't really talk about that often? Yeah, I think a few things. I think it's definitely good to find yourself a business mentor um, or someone to talk to who's been there or done that. I think when you have little or no business experience, it's actually really hard to start something from scratch. And there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I'm no good at this. Can you please help me? Because there are still plenty of things I don't know about that you know I need help with um, so I think that's really important actually and create a positive environment for yourself this will be the single hardest thing you will ever have to do in your lifetime so make sure you make your life easier whether it's you know workout so I've joined a taekwondo club for example a few months back it's great I love it <laughs> um, make sure you keep yourself healthy you eat well and make, su make sure you surround yourself with good positive people um, yeah and just like go to like networking events you know like tech talks for example do po podcast with dave um he's really great um and jack as well sorry <laughs> <laughs> he's at the back it doesn't matter it's fine jack and dave um yeah like meet some great people like uh, up until recently i didn't realize there were so many amazing female entrepreneurs either and i've never even looked for them and you know it's not about asking for stuff but just kind of talk to people and because your friends your family they're not going to understand you they're they'll be like oh you're doing great there's nothing to worry about and you know you, you don't want to hear that you want people to tell you you can do better this why don't you come to this event with me why don't you do that so yeah surround yourself in a positive environment seek a mentor and just find ways to make your life make your life easier and just get started like all these things I've said before create a website super easy 10 minutes you can do it register company you can do that um build a community there's meetup groups facebook groups out there you can build your own like if you really 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 want to make it happen there are actually easy ways to make it happen with all you without you putting tens and thousands of pounds into it. Obviously, at some point, you would have to. <laughs> <laughs> Money is important, I'm not saying it's not, but just to get things started, it's actually not that hard. And I wish yeah. I knew that two years ago. Nice. So. Well, I'm feeling inspired, so. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. And Great. it was lovely Thank having you. you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cool, right. As anyone who listens to the show, knows, there's two sections. We have an interview, and then we have a bit of a debate. Come on. Um, with myself and Jack, normally 
uh, sometimes joined by other people. And today we are joined by three other people to talk about AI and enterprise. So if I could get uh, Helen and Kate and Avril to come up and join us. You might be wondering how two moderators works. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, you all have a microphone, we'll share, we'll squabble over, over one. What we would like you to do, have you got your phone on you? Yes. Good. Uh, Jack's a massive Arsenal fan, I promise you he's not going to be... He's not going to be just looking at the football scores. I'm going to make sure he's not looking at football I don't scores. I want to look at football scores at the moment. Anyway, what we would like is for you to get involved with your questions through Twitter. Okay? So it's much more organic, hopefully, an opportunity for Jack to see what you guys are saying, pick out the questions that are coming from the floor, and throw them into the debate in that way. So it's at tech double underscore talks, or the hashtag is for the love of tech. I just do the hashtag. Can you just do the hashtag, please? Because I don't have the Twitter account on my phone. Thank you. Okay. So, <laughs> hashtag for the love of tech. And uh, Jack will be able to pick up what you guys are saying as we go. Um, but yeah, we did want to talk about AI because it is a buzzword. And uh, it's easy prep for me because I, I hosted an event on, on AI last week. So that was quite handy. No, um, but we've got a great panel. If you would like to just very quickly introduce yourselves in 20 seconds, that would be amazing. So I'm Helen, the founder of Wild AI, and we are empowering women to reach uh, their maximum potential, starting with women who are active, who do sports, and we are analyzing the data from the wearables, daily questions with a chatbot, and provide them uh, daily recommendations on how to uh, understand their symptoms and how to train better, eat better, cycle after cycle. Hi, I'm Avril Chester, founder and CEO of Cancer Central. It's a new centralized source of information that's going to be signposting to all those wonderful businesses and charities that support those by cancer, well, affected by cancer. So everything from respite care to hats to wigs to travel advice to benefits advice. So, And it's been built through a conversational search. So it's still very early days. Uh, we're still driving all the content and trying to bring it through, but that's the, uh, that's the goal. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Kate, uh, founder of Kate Goes Tech, futuristic blog, as well as a newly uh, created uh, transhumanist platform, Transpire. And I'm very happy to see some fellow transhumanists trying to augment and improve human potential. That's a very unusual to see it uh, actually in tech and AI circles. So yeah, looking forward to exciting debate. Right, we'll start with a really broad question to begin with, and I'll go to you, Avril, for this one, because I know that you also, whilst you're doing some amazing things in the startup sector now, you also have a corporate background as well. Uh, and we did say that we talk about enterprise AI as well as, this, as, as how the startups play a role in that, rather. But what are the main reasons that the adoption of AI fails at scale? What are the, what are the main stumbling blocks? So there's several things, uh, and I'm sure everyone can sort of give an example. Uh, you know, the first thing everyone goes is culture. Um, and absolutely, uh, and I'm not sort of overshadowing that. Uh, you know, one of the things is data and dirty data. Um, and certainly from an enterprise perspective, I know obviously we spoke quite a bit on data, but uh, from an enterprise perspective, uh, it is a real concern. We have legacy data, so how do you address that? And, and as we know, there was like a recent, uh, you know, piece of the news about, you know, so United Airlines, you know, they had a potential loss of $1 billion of revenue because they used old obsolete data in their pricing model. So it's, it is a real concern. But I think actually we do need to take a step back. Um, it is a buzzword, we, we mentioned it earlier, uh, but also certainly from an enterprise space and from a corporate space, um, we get a bit buzzwordy. We, you know, we talk about this and it's kind of like, let's do digital. 
Okay, anybody know what the hell that is? Okay, let's do transformation. Brilliant. Now it's let's do AI. Okay, guys, come on. Um, we we get excited, we see something work, and then we jump the gun. You know, something that we're doing at the moment in terms of, sort of AI is we get so excited that we try and solve very, very complex problems of which we don't know what the problems are ourselves. So, you know, what is the need? The AI is just a tool. You know, what is it we're trying to achieve? What's the need? And take it right back to the basics. Do you think that the enterprise businesses, uh, you say they're jumping the gun, but you also think they're jumping the shark in that they're just slapping AI onto something to get more customers and it probably isn't even going to work or anything like that. Do you think like just because it's sexy, buzzwordy, whatever, they're just going to be like, we'll, we'll do AI because they're doing AI. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Do you th is that something you think is genuinely happening? There's a total fear of missing out. Uh, you know, it's all FOMO right now, um, and I understand that. You know, there's there's startups, there's disruption, there's everything that's happening. And actually, you know, I've I, I do a number of things when sort of talking to corporates about this. Is startups actually are no different from corporates in so many aspects? We don't suddenly pop up overnight. <laughs> You know, we, we talked about as we started this kind of two-year journey, we got the thing, fantastic. You know, it's the same thing. We, You know, you apply for your budget and your P&L. We apply for budget from investors. You know, it, it's the same kind of hurdles. So the ones that really work, what's the need? What are you trying to do? Actually, who are your customers? Solved. Yeah, well, <laughs> if only. That's it, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, uh, Kate, any kind of further thoughts on that from what you've seen? Yeah, uh, I was just thinking about uh, some quote. Uh, I believe it was by Isaac Asimov. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, machines are useless. They're only answering the questions. So uh, the thing that we often see in enterprises and any types of business, we need to really understand what is the problem? What is the question? And very often we are applying whatever technology we deem fanciest enough to problems that actually do not exist or can be solved much better by humans. And I think only now um, big businesses start to wake up and look at all the RPA implementations they've been doing for the last three years and they're like, oops, we, we need actually more people to uh, take care of all this RPA than the ones we fired because we implemented RPA. So yeah, there's a cost and reward and really the ROI element is getting much more um, uh, feasible on the agenda. Just picking up on something that, that you said, you said dirty data. <laughs> Right. It's very dirty. Yeah. That's just yours. Yeah. Garbage in, garbage uh, out. Uh, <laughs> ethics and bias is, is a big issue. And Helen, you're, you're building a, a platform that helps women better understand, I suppose, their data and then how to train as a consequence. But all of the products are, are built for men, effectively, with, with the likes of Fitbit. And I suppose all the data, therefore, just unintentionally is biased. So how do you build a platform or how do you build a business that doesn't inherently have that bias at its core, its DNA, yeah. from, from the beginning. Yeah, I, as you just said, um, unfortunately, the existing data sets are mostly based on men. 
uh, when so we are we taking data that is um, health data as well. So if you look at uh, our world, there's mostly men data. But if you look at another world, which is the medical world, uh, most uh, research has been done on men. So you can have an FDA approved drug that has been tested only on men. And even for drugs that are for women, such as a female Viagra, it's been tested for instance on 32 people of which 28 men, which seems not to make a lot of sense. Uh, but uh, it's been considered until very recently that women and men were not that different besides uh, the fact that women had hormones that were sexual hormones, so just for reproduction. But it does happen that uh, the sexual hormones uh, make us extremely different than men. So the way we digest, change constantly, not only um, during our cycles, uh, day after day, but also during big trenches, so puberty, pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy, pre-menopause. So we have these big changes. And so if we take, so if you look at another thing like pain, so the receptors for pain are different in men and women, but we take pills that were made for men. So it is not as efficient for women. So that is a, is a, is a huge issue. And uh, also at our level, uh, as a company, we're creating data sets as well. Uh, and we were, as an anecdote, we were in the team, so our chief scientific officer and our CTO are two men, and we're a, a clinical advisor who's a woman and myself, and we're talking about the data we need to track on women. And we asked, we said we need to track sex drive, um, because it's important. It may perhaps be a correlation with uh, your strength, which in sports is interesting. And the boys said, like, why would we track that? Like, it doesn't really change. And we said, like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Men said that it doesn't change. For them, it doesn't really change on a daily basis. They're liars. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you can get convinced. Maybe. <laughs> Whereas women is a bit different. Yes. Uh, you can also get yes. convinced about uh, it. Men are much more convincible. Easily, easier, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every day. Yeah. Um, well, we'd, we'd love to have you in the conversation, actually. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but the women naturally, we do have that, and, it's, and it is scientifically proven. So, uh, just as a company, if we were uh, no women in the data science team, which typically is the case, or if we were not enough women in the team, we would not have the power to convince that this is something that we really needs to be tracked. So, it would be a non data. So, even at the creation of data sets, uh, there's a huge bias. And as products that we use on a daily basis, that is on the AI products, but if you look at, uh, we were discussing that just before, uh, the tests in cars are made with uh, men bodies, so women get a disadvantage. Spacesuits, all this, Everything. it was like Space several suits. months ago, yeah. that's a huge um, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be um, a pilot, uh, army pilot, and uh, one of the issues not, not that at that time, but before, that women couldn't be uh, pilots because um, the peeing system was not existing for women. There, I mean, we pee differently, so... Uh, <laughs> this is very educational for you today, isn't it? I Every day's a school day for me. <laughs> and and we, couldn't, we couldn't be in a plane for many hours, basically. So... I mean, it, it, just to be horribly a man for a second, I wouldn't have thought of that, and that is... The, it, Terrible. No, but, no, but you know what I mean? Like, it just beggars belief how it wasn't done. But I, I have no sympathy for men for not thinking of this stuff. But yeah. at the same time, we are thick. We are just, <laughs> just it. We think about ourselves primarily. And, you know, that, that, that's why the world was built, I guess, the way it was. If the world was built by women, it'd be a much better place. So we dare for that. We agree. Yeah. 
gold star answer for you. <laughs> just, just out of interest, Avril, because you're, you're building something slightly different. And I suppose if we kind of move away from necessarily gender, but you've got a chatbot, and there's a hell of a lot of assumptions made about how people want to communicate. Uh, the Prince's Trust have built a chatbot to, to chat to um, youths who've, who've got some, some real... I, I don't know the best way to phrase this. Articulation is failing me. Yeah, I do sound quite old, yeah. Young people, anyway. Uh, and there was that assumption that young people like talking to a chatbot more because adults are authoritarian. So I suppose there's a whole, a whole amount of bias there about chatbots and how we relate to them and what's best and the best forms of communication. And especially when someone's facing something like cancer, which must, well, you know from personal experience, it's... it's, it's yeah, check out my chemo curls back there. Yeah, it's dropped out now. <laughs> Uh, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, actually, I was, I was talking about this earlier to, today. Um, what we're trying to build is something ever so slightly different. It's not an, a, a chat bot per se, but it is. It's kind of a search bot. So it's even more kind of complex And we're talking about. I've got a UI workshop in Manchester coming up where we sort of go, well, search, you, you expect to see here, and chat bot, you expect to sort of type the questions down here. But I think the reason why we talk about chatbots and sort of the rise of chatbots is actually we're just becoming more conversational based. And I, and I think, you know, if we don't start now, we can't train. You know, and I, I, I do talk about Av being in diapers because she really is. You know, I'm a little bit excited. We have a pilot uh, connecting Av to the uh, NHS website through an API. And it's great if you ask the basic question, uh, what is bowel cancer? She comes back with the NHS response and the link to the site. I was like mega proud. I was like, check that out. If you ask anything more complicated, I'm sorry. But, you know, the whole point is, um, and I would encourage everybody, is ask your questions. Because actually it's the data that we will then start to understand what is it you're searching for and what is it you're looking for, and then we can respond and then we can start understanding because how we'd all ask a question is very different to somebody else would ask a question. And you make a really valid point about under-18s and things because particularly in sort of under-18s, well done, you, you know, two gold stars today. Oh, you want a winner? Um, but, but it is because for, for us, we don't want to know who you are. You, know, you, you may have been diagnosed with cancer, you may actually have not told your family yet and you don't know how to tell your children. So it's really important we don't recognise who you are uh, and we go through that. But at the same time, there's a lot of young people and teenagers who are going through this and they might want to ask questions whether it's regarding their parents or whether it's regarding themselves. Now, you know, how do we handle those conversations is something that will constantly evolve. And I think we've just got to all work together and make sure that's safeguarding and, and things like that. Because, you know, let's go back to that question. You know, what teenager wants to talk to their parents about sex? But actually, cancer, chemotherapy, radiotherapy kills stuff. So you do want to talk about it. But, hey, you know, thanks, Dad. It's not quite the question we want to have. So I know I'm going sort of slightly off on, but I think certainly from the rise of chatbots and the rise of conversations, you know, whether it's speaking, whether it's by, you know, sort of typing, you know, information in, I think the more we do it, the more we learn, the better we get. And I, that's just going to be, I think that's the exciting piece about, I know it's basic AI, but I think it's around 24-7. There isn't necessarily someone on the phone at three o'clock in the morning when you're staring at the ceiling and you can't sleep and you're having your flushes, you know. Interesting point. When you, when you were talking, you said how proud you were that your, your bot was capable to a certain yeah. level. And I think when we talk about AI, we are culpable of never really separating out artificial narrow, narrow intelligence, artificial general intelligence. And in public perception, 
the two get merged together and because the public haven't seen us reach AGI, they kind of get down on what's capable with ANI. Um, do you feel that maybe the lack of progress on ANI holds, sorry, AGI rather, holds back the lack of, sorry, the progress that we have made in ANI? And what's the relationship between the two there? Because I suppose that can affect how, how te technology is adopted, but also regulation. And okay, I mean, it's probably more your area with the whole uh, transhumanist piece. That's a very interesting one. And uh, as um, amazing discussion notwithstanding, I must say that I was pleasantly surprised by the level of knowledge and very brief chats I had before our panel now just uh, with the participants, the books, the, the information uh, they know. Uh, so I think you are all very much aware, actually, uh, to which extent we already have AI embedded in our lives. Uh, even if we don't um, acknowledge it as something like a very futuristic AI, which we see in Altered Carbon and all the cool movies on Netflix. So. Yeah, to be fair, AI, like from the moment you wake up and uh, if you decide uh, to go the lazy and cheap way um, and Spotify picks the melody for you, um, that's already AI to the uh, route you are taking to um, swiping on Tinder and having only the guys who swiped you right. Um, to make sure your self-confidence doesn't go very low, <laughs> um, to all the way to calculating the route to the date you're having with this guy through um, through City Mapper, to uh, watching YouTube and seeing some ads being I don't know Grammarly or whatever you searched on Google the day before. Um, yeah, I must say AI is pretty much. Um, making our life easier, maybe 30% or, or more. It's like in every app. Uh, but, um, but the point is very valid on um, the general AI. And I really think we are still quite far. So um, people in AI startups or in companies can, uh, of course, uh, talk more about this. But vaguely, I believe all AI we have can be um, distributed in several categories. So the one we have now is uh, still pretty much reactive. So it sees the situation, understands the uh, conditions and can quickly react, uh, sometimes much quicker and better than humans like AlphaGo or Deep Blue uh, or all kinds of uh, However, we are moving uh, towards AI with a limited memory, which already has something, uh, some understanding of the world because of the data that was fed into it. And this is exactly why China is leading in AI growth, not because they're better or smarter, but because they have so much more people and more data to work with. And the next step, which probably can be described something like a theory of mind when in human societies we have psychology and the understanding of the world around us when we have motivations, ambitions, the goals. I think this is what we mean when we are talking about AI and that's why we are so 
disappointed that we don't have any of that because currently AI needs an input and the goal to, to get to and very often reinforcement. And after that, it comes this step where we can see this um, paperclip problem gap. I'm sure many of you have heard of Nick Bostrom and the paperclip maximization issue where you might have the goal, but you don't know why you are doing this. So the type four, which we would probably call super intelligence and which any futurist have pretty much zero idea of where it is coming, that would be the self-aware AI. So we are still only at level two of limited memory with the best representation being autonomous cars. But hey, Isaac Asimov and all the futurist guys predicted we are moving fast. Pick, picking up on some of the, the themes there then, I guess, like the, hey, you know, why are we doing this? The purpose, and, and purpose is a massive thing in tech at the minute. And look, Avril, Helen, you might have a, a view on this. Startups have long been seen as the kind of the move fast and break things crew. And, you know, Robin quoted dot everyone's research at the beginning. There seems to be a, a growing movement away from that, which is a, is a good thing. But if we accept that, Governments probably lack the bandwidth to regulate tech, and um, if, if we think that big, you know, big organisations, enterprise, probably have too much inertia to to kind of follow through on the, the changes that we need to the society, to, to 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 society and the adoption of tech, is it fair to put the responsibility on the shoulders of startups, on young businesses, and say, hey guys, if we're not the move fast and and break things crew anymore, we should be the move fast and fix things kind of part of society and that's our role moving forward. Do you, do you feel any kind of pressure in that regard? I mean, you're both doing things that are really quite progressive from a, from a societal point of view, right? Yes and no. Uh, and and uh, I've been thinking about this quite a lot. Um, and I think there's a real collective responsibility with this. Um, and this kind of, uh, you know, talks about sort of the next step in the sense of whilst we can learn and break and learn and break and, you know, sort of go for it. Um, from an enterprise, from a corporate perspective, you know, you have resources. You have what you need within the organisation. There's loads of people there with fantastic intelligence that are doing stuff. And the same thing from a government. I think, you know, whatever we sort of feel about the politicians at the moment, but generally speaking, you know, there's some fantastic government digital departments out there right now that are really moving and shaking things, um, which, you know, initially you go, really? But genuinely, they, they are. So I think there really needs to be a collective responsibility from the technical world and really sort of working together in sort of moving that forward. And if I may be really bold on that previous question, Dave, just very quickly on your acronyms, I think that's where we need to start. So from a technical perspective, what happened to our plain English? I, we had a uh, guest on a couple of weeks ago, and Dave and her were talking about ANI and AGI, and I had to text Dave to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I didn't know what either of it was, and this is someone who's been doing a tech podcast for nearly two years. There is also ASI, and I believe many other ones. I don't think there should be any, because that's what's causing the upset, that's what's causing the friction, that's what's causing the apprehension. 
you know, if you don't understand it, if we're starting to customise, if we're getting into a little club, hey, I'm part of A or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? I don't even know myself, you know, and I work in technology. So, sorry, I know I went back to the previous question, but I think there needs to be a whole plain English stint, both from the government, the corporate and the, you know, startup space. I think on the, on the responsibility part, um, there's two things. I think on the corporate versus startups, uh, more than our responsibility, I think is as a startup, we actually have the luxury of being able to move fast. So when we have the question from investors or partners, like, how would you fight if Google does it? And my answer is like, literally, we do have the luxury of doing that and of, of testing things and probably failing and also of moving in an area that is going to be, that we, we like, we can change uh, the way people think and the way people talk. So we can talk about um, sex drive and vaginal dischargers and things like that, which people never talk about. Um, and, th and they can't really because they take a lot of risks and they have a reputation, etc., which which we have less. So we have that luxury. So I think that's that's the first thing is we, we can do it. Um, and second, as well, on, the, on, on our responsibility, I think one thing that is very important as founders, and that's all about all the ethics around AI, but also ethics as founders, is that we, we have a huge responsibility because we're building something some of us hope that will become very big. And some startups in five, ten years became really, really big and have a, a huge impact on their employees, on the family of the employees, and on everyone who use the product. Um, and if we as founders embed something that is good behind, from starting uh, how we, we think employees should live, because it may think like, are we educators? 100%. Uh, you don't say fuck in, at work because we have decided that you don't say that. So if we say fathers should be fathers and parents should be something of a man and a woman and we force and force compulsory paternity leave, we have a responsibility on that. And I think we, and, and that's, I think it's something that is brilliant as, as founders uh, and as startups. Um, so yeah, we do have a big responsibility. I think like startups are moving fast and breaking things, but ultimately you're moving fast and solving things, right? And if you break things on the way, so be it, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, anyway, I want to get to a question. Um, Hannah Kitcher, I will get to yours, but it's across two, two tweets, but I will get there. Uh, Georgina Scott asks, what is the AI innovation that will change our lives as much as the internet has? Fantastic question. No pressure, but you've got to get it right. <laughs> we'll be coming back in five years. <laughs> Female health. Female health. Yeah. For sure. That's Helen's answer. <laughs> Kate, AI. Kate, you're going to have some AI things that we've never even heard of, right? Well, I think uh, it, it will be concerning pretty much uh, the way we interact and the way we feel. So, uh, for example, I can totally envision, um, we were talking a lot about business mentors, but we didn't talk about AI assistants who will be your life mentors from the day you're born, growing up with you and knowing all your preferences and advising you on the best uh, way of action when you're actually not your best, <laughs> but knowing all your previous uh, Let's let's go back to dating example. Um, there can be an AI that uh, was with you since you were 12 years old, and it will say, "Kate, 
I know you really like John, but it never worked out with guys like John before. <laughs> Look at Mike instead. So I think really we're moving from Alexa into a more comprehensive real AI assistance. Just on the dating thing, uh, I knew my girlfriend before we started going out with each other and even she swiped to reject me on Tinder when she saw me. <laughs> True story. Um, managed to wear her down a bit. Wear her down, that's a horrible way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in love. You were doing so well. Do you want to ask another question or shall I go, go to this? Go, go for it. Okay, right, last, so. Last Hannah, sorry if I balls this up in any way, shape or form, but it's coming back to the point we were talking about right at the beginning of the show. Uh, and Hannah says, or if the world was built by men who consider the intended and unintended consequences of what they're making and the various possible uses and contexts of what they're making, then the world would be a better place. Like, would things that are unintentionally designed to be best for men, e.g., uh, car airbags tested on male dummies, be more suitable for women if they ask the following question? What could this mean if everyone in the world were doing it? How could, commun how could this affect the communities you operate in? But it's very much a, just a question of imagination. Uh, why do we even have the problem of climate change today? We just can't possibly imagine how horrible the situation will be 50 years from now because we didn't have the reference point anytime before. So probably the man just can't imagine what uh, the woman feels if she has menstruation or when she's given birth because there is no reference point to that. And um, I think it's very important to also address uh, here the, um, the question of data and bias. Uh, the problem we're having with um, the garbage data we have uh, that it's maybe skewed towards um, um, men or um, against minorities is because this is the data we have. But um, as we progress in our current reality, um, society changes, things change. And uh, I'm, I hope by the time we get to no ASI, but super intelligence, um, the machines will be so advanced that they can advance their moral values and uh, data with us. So, yeah, that's a very interesting question, in fact, and I think it all comes down to imagination. Uh, and, and Hannah, I think it's a really, really good point. And part of our mission as well is to change the way men uh, visual, uh, view, uh, view uh, like femtech and female products, because uh, as, as founder, uh, I often talk to men and they're like, oh, this is really interesting, you two should talk to my friend who's a woman, I'm like, you don't understand, we're building a product that is going to change the life of billions, which in venture capital means a lot of money. And he's like, yeah, but you talk about periods, it's weird. The, re the real issue is that men who like women are really, really shy and like it's completely taboo. I've, I'm asking all these questions on my Facebook, I'm like, uh, if you are a man or if you're a woman, is your, is your partner, if it's a man, buys you 10 packs. Most, most men do not buy 10 packs, whereas women are bleeding 25% of the time. I'm like, guys, it's okay, you know? And these things are really, really taboo. So first of all, they don't have imagination, but also they never talked about that because it's too weird. Um, and, and we're British. Yeah. <laughs> 
do no, you so do you buy Tampax? No. 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 <laughs> Why not? Um, you could. And this you is not the only thing. So there is a, a huge thing first, which is like, what is a woman? And um, and 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 men. It's great to watch you two blush. It is fantastic. I'm having a great time. <laughs> I would never. What was the word? <laughs> We did a, a, a brief YouTube video last week, and it was um, Ryder's been doing these surprise topics for us. And the first one was was femtech. Go check it out on Twitter or YouTube because you get to watch me and Dave painfully like dance around the word vagina for about thirty seconds. It's, yeah, we're embarrassed by ourselves. And uh, female orgasm. Women do not know their bodies, but men don't either. I mean, it's like, so I agree with you 100%, but first we need to like push a little bit boundaries. Who knew AI was this interesting? <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know where to go after this. I, uh, the pizzas are getting cold. So I think this is a good moment to say thank you. Um, look, it's been really good fun having you on stage. Uh, I would like to say as well, Sorry, <laughs> thank you to White City for allowing us to record at this venue. It is a studio, which is why we decide to come here because it's fantastic for getting a great audio stream. So thank you to White City Place for letting us record here. Um, that brings us to the end of the podcast part, but there is something still to do. Through the podcast, podcasts don't really have a purpose or they didn't have a purpose to begin with, if I'm perfectly honest. It was like, hey, this could be like a cool idea. And then we started talking to more and more businesses where we were like, oh, hey, they're like doing cool things that are fixing problems. <laughs> In January, we, we got our heads together and we said, right, we want to have a look back at some of the people that we've had on the show over the last 12 months and which companies do we think are really doing something that inspired us when we talked to them? Because, you know, maybe we can just steal their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Our purpose is stealing their purpose. Yeah. Uh, and there were six companies that we shortlisted. Um, they were working, Hayley Sudbury, uh, Azumi, Douglas Lloyd, Wagestream, uh, Pete Briffitt, Olio, Tessa Clark, uh, Safe in the City, Gillian, Kowalchuk, and So You Want to Be in TV, Rioch Edwards-Brown. Um, and they're all fantastic companies. They are all fantastic companies. So it's kind of painful that we've got to single out one. But look, we, we spoke to our marketing team internally at Harvey Nash and they said, look, if you get 200 votes for this, that'll be quite good because asking people to vote for something is quite hard. We ended up getting over 500 votes, which we were, we were really happy about. Yeah. And there is a winner. It's me. I can't believe it. Yeah. And the winner is Tessa Clark from Olio. Uh, so congratulations. Please come and... Take this award. Olio, if you, if you aren't familiar, Olio are the food sharing revolution app. Is that the best way? Revolution. Yes, we're a free app tackling the problem of food waste. So no more need to uh, throw away food from your fridges or cupboards. Just share it with a neighbour who would love to take it. If you want to know more, you can listen to the podcast. That's the beauty of this. But congratulations. Thank you very much for being so kind and coming along. And... <laughs>